Hey everybody, welcome back to the Mad Tales Podcast. You are about to listen to Season 3, Episode 5. I hope you've enjoyed the story so far. Just a quick note before we get started here. Um, I am officially done with uh, Season 4 of The Hive. This is the final season in The Hive series. I've got four episodes coming your way. Um, don't worry, I know there's not a fifth one in there, but two of those episodes are twice as long as normal because um, I wanted to do something good for the grand finale, the series finale, or at least the the season finale of that one. I, I'm not sure if I'm going to come back to The Hive or not. I've had a great time writing it, but it's time to move on to some other projects. As usual, please visit me at www.jamesnoll.net. If you're on iTunes or anywhere where you can leave a review, please leave a review for me. And check out my Patreon. Uh, that's uh, patreon.com forward slash madtales. And you can support me there. Um, you can sign up for my email list at jamesnoll.net. It's right there on the front page. Or you can go to jamesnoll.net uh, slash free. Uh, you'll get a free digital copy of A Knife in the Back. And that'll keep you in the loop with everything that I'm doing. New short stories, new audio books, uh, live events. I go to a lot of live events around here. Once again, thank you very much for sticking in there and listening to The Hive. I hope you enjoy it. And here we go. Season 3, Episode 5, the season finale, The Return of The Hive. The Return of the Hive. When I was 16, an alien hive fell on my neighbor's lawn and killed his entire family. When I was 16, me and my daddy blew that hive up with a dead dog stuffed with explosives. When I was 16, I killed a little boy. When I was 16, I killed a pregnant lady that had turned into a monster. When I was 16, I watched my daddy die. When I was 16, when I was 16, when I was 16. There ain't no cure for the bad things you done even if you thought you did them for the right reasons. If you done it, you done it. No takebacks. The blood of everybody who died over the last year was on my hands. Daddy, Maggie May, Ray, Gary T, Gomez Gomez, Otis Abernathy, Annie O, Mother Absalom, Uncle Zeus, and everybody else at the farm. All of them. It was all my fault. All my fault. I don't know how long I lay on my cot in the commons letting that mess rattle around in my head, and I don't care. A day, a week, it didn't matter. I slept, I stared at the ceiling, I slept some more. Repeat, repeat, repeat. One day, Frankie limped by, took one look at me curled up in a ball in my cot and said, Amanda, you've got to get up. When I didn't move or say anything, she poked me in the back with her cane. Come on. Get up. No. You've got to eat. I'm not hungry. So you're just going to lie in bed until you die? 
Go away, Amanda. Go away! Lying in bed was exactly what I had in mind. All day, all week, all month, forever. Frankie knew that. Why'd she even bother to ask? Why'd she care so much? That girl hated me from the day I let her onto my farm. She sighed as she stood there, and I could practically feel her eyes rolling. You better not soil that bed, little girl. Get the fuck away from me! The din of the commons dimmed, and even though I had my eyes closed, I knew everybody was looking at me. It was all Frankie's fault. If she'd left me alone, I wouldn't have to yell at her. Fine, she said. You piss yourself, you're on your own. We don't have any more cots, and I'm not going to clean up after you. I willed myself to sleep after she left. Even that brief interaction left me weary through and through. My soul, my bones, my everything. So I slept. It was easiest. I didn't have to think about what I'd done. I dreamed about Daddy. I was sitting out on the lawn on the glider, and he was right next to me, drinking a beer and smoking a spliff, and I couldn't help it. I started to weep. He wasn't impressed. You can cry all you want, sweetness, but when you're done, the problem's still going to be there. Might as well skip right to solving it. That's fine for you to say, Daddy, but I killed people. You did what you had to do. Did I have to kill Seb Mac or Lynn or Charlene? Yeah, you did. I had to watch you die, and I had to bury you. You left. You left me here all by myself, and I have tried, Daddy. I tried to do everything you do. I tried to save people. I tried to save the farm. I tried to save the world, but it didn't work. They took it from me. They're too strong, and I'm too weak. I let you down. I'm nothing. He put his hand on my shoulder, and that's how I woke up. Amanda? It was Lonnie. I don't need to eat, and I don't need to pee. I'm not asking you to. Then go away. I can't do that. I ain't proud of what I did next. If I said it once, I said it a hundred times. Daddy didn't raise no bleeder. The Jets were tough. Fighters. Nana Jet was meaner than a copperhead. When life got difficult, we didn't retreat. We met it head on and damned the consequences. One thing we certainly didn't do was cry. But that's what happened. I cried. It came up from the depths of my body and shook me. Literally. I tried to hold it back, tamp it down, swallow it like I know Daddy would have done, like he would have told me to do, but I couldn't. Alani patted my shoulder, and the rest of it came pouring out in one lung-stretching, snotty, tear-filled sob. And if everybody wasn't already looking at me or fleeing the commons, they certainly was now. Even though it seemed to last forever, I know it didn't. When it was all out, I lay still, stunned at how much better I felt and how nothing felt better at all. You done? Alani asked. I nodded and wiped my nose with the back of my hand. Sorry. Sorry for what? Balling like that. I feel so stupid. You don't have anything to feel stupid about. You're human, Amanda. Humans have emotions. Yeah, but... There aren't any yeah buts about it. It is what it is. I sat up, and to my surprise, the commas hadn't emptied out at all, and nobody was looking at me. There were a few half-glances here and there, but none of them looked mean or pitying or judgmental. In fact, a few even seemed, I don't know, nice? Like they wanted to help? Okay, I said. What day is it? Alani let out a little chuckle. <laughs> you mean, what month? What? It's October, Amanda. Oh. Then, 
realizing how long it was since I last knew the date? Oh. Alani stood up and held out her hand. You feel good enough to rejoin the world? I gave the offer a nice long think. Did I? I still felt low and weak and empty, but that hole was gone, at least for now. I'm not sure. Listen to me, Amanda. All that stuff you got running around in your head, it's not real. Understand? I nodded, even though I didn't. You're the strongest person I've ever met. You've borne more than some of these big men we got here. So when you start thinking to yourself otherwise, when you start selling yourself whatever nonsense that makes you feel bad, she could see I'd kind of tuned out. I couldn't help it. All I could think of were the faces of all the people I'd let down. Hey, she said. Hey, look at me. I did. I want you to see something. The noise of the kids playing in the auxiliary gym echoed off the walls as we walked down the back hall, the open doors at either end allowing enough to let us see where we were going. I cringed at it, both because I wasn't in no place to hear something like that and because I was worried about how much attention it attracted. I had to remind myself that the Cortland Colony wasn't like what I had at my house. The school was 100% American-made, with iron bones and cinder-block skin. We had numbers, too, and Alani posted guards all over the roof, and Adam patrolling the parking lots, not to mention the wall of cars we plugged every hole with, and all the APCs and other military vehicles we'd stole. Any Max or Hives wanted to try and get at us, they'd have themselves a gory time of it. She led me out the door to a little courtyard that used to be some kind of patio where the students could eat lunch. The last time I looked, the concrete was dug up and the ground tilled. That's about as far as they got. Not a pretty picture, if you catch my drift. Now, though, good goodness, I said. Gone were the rocks and chunks of concrete, the pieces of the benches, the shards of wood, the big stump of a tree, all replaced by stalk after stalk of beautiful yellow corn. They were tall, too. Too tall for me to even reach without getting on someone's shoulders. Good goodness is right, Alani said. I could hear the smile in her voice. You want to see something even more amazing? She pulled the machete out of the loop in her belt and cut a stalk down. Look, I didn't need to be told twice. I picked an ear off the fallen stalk and oh my, was it big. It was hands down the biggest ear of corn I'd ever held in my life. I shucked the husk to get a better look and blinked hard. Alani laughed as she put her machete back. The kernels are so big, I said. Are all of them like this? That's one of the biggest ones, but yeah, they're pretty huge. I looked in the direction of the stadium. So that means, yep, best views from up high. There was a hatch on the second level that we used to access the roof. When we popped out of the hole, one of the guards posted on the north end gave us a nod and a wave, and we headed to the front. The walkie-talkie Alani clipped to her belt squawked twice, and she pushed the button to silence it. Needs fresh batteries, she said. A guard named Wendell was keeping watch there. He gave us a curt smile and went to the southeast corner to crib a cigarette from another guard. The sun was setting to our right, shining its dying light on the field in the middle of the stadium. If I was knocked out by what they'd grown in the back, I was downright comatose by what they pulled off in the front. They'd planted more corn, of course. From one end zone to the 20-yard line, the field was thick with it. But the rest of it was chock-filled with all kinds of other food. Green beans, peppers, cucumbers, tomatoes, Melons, pumpkins, beets, squash, sweet potatoes. How about another good goodness? Alani asked. I obliged her. Golly day, Alani. You did it. We did it. Thanks to you. I gave her a bit of the stink eye. Well, maybe a little, yeah, but this. I gestured at the football field. I didn't have nothing to do with this. 
Oh, yes, you did. Nobody knew how to farm before you got here. Best we could do was dig up the ground and put a seed in it and hope for the best. That's pretty much it. She slapped my shoulder. You stop that now. You see all that food out there? That's... Her walkie-talkie squawked again and she turned it down. That's because of you. We're going to make it through the winter. A trickle of sweat rolled down my back. What winter? You know what I mean. Wendell trotted over, flicking the cigarette he was smoking over the edge of the roof. Alani! What? We got a situation at the road. She started to respond when someone started firing a machine gun in the near distance. All three of us ran to the roof's edge. Several of our people were running toward the chain link that separated the school from the neighborhood on the other side. I looked at Alani, and I looked at Wendell. What are we going to do about that? I asked. Because standing there on the other side of that chain link fence was an army. An army of Max. Hundreds of them. My belly froze and I forgot to breathe. How many more were in the woods to the east? On the other side of the Votex Center. Out on the road. Alani, Wendell said. She was swiveling around, seeing what I was seeing, thinking what I was thinking. The guards on the roof were running for the hatch and that seemed to shake her out of her stupor. No! Stop! They couldn't hear her, so she grabbed her walkie-talkie and cranked it up. Roof guards! Get back to your posts! They stopped and looked at her. And when they didn't move, she yelled, Now! What do you want us to do? Wendell asked. Stay here. Do your job. She started running for the hatch. After a few steps, she turned her head and yelled back to me. You coming? We just reached the tennis courts when it felt like all the oxygen was sucked from the air. Lonnie and I went to our knees, trying to breathe, but it wouldn't come. Then that pressure, that horrible pressure I felt nearly a year before, built up all around us and pressed down. The ground blurred and shook and hummed, and Alani's mouth was wide open like she was screaming, but I couldn't hear anything. And then the pressure exploded with a sonic eruption, and the ground shook and leaped even more, and we fell on our sides, and then it was silent. Alani was the first to get up, gasping and terrified. What was that? You never felt it before? No, have you? Oh, yeah. I turned and looked toward the road, and I could see it. The rounded green-brown top poking into the sky. They're here. Mormax thronged Smith Station Road, thousands of them, packed in hip to hip. Standing on the other side of the buses, we jammed back to back to form a wall that stretched all the way down to the stadium fence and around the parking lot and across the front of the Votech building. An entire company of men and women stood on our side, armed with all manner of weapons, from police batons to little twenty twos to the fifty caliber brownies bolted into the top of one of the APVs facing the front gate, which was two more school buses parked nose and nose at the intersection. Nobody was shooting, though, and the Max didn't move an inch. Frankie, who was manning the gate, hustled up to us as best she could, hopping like a pole vaulter on her cane. What's going on? Alani asked. Nothing, yet. Well, where did they come from? Nobody knows. They just appeared, and then that thing came up from under the ground. Under the ground? Yep. It didn't fall from the sky. Nope. 
shot straight up through the road. I've seen that before, I said. Alani jawed into her walkie-talkie. Hold your positions, people. Do not fire until I give the order. I repeat, do not fire until I give the order. Then we walked, Alani, Frankie, and me, up to the gates. And as we did, the buses started to move aside. Alani shouted into her radio, Who's doing that? Close the gate! Close the gate, goddammit! But there wasn't anybody to stop the buses from moving, because there wasn't anybody in them. The buses were moving on their own, an inch or two at first, then a foot, then six feet, before finally stopping wide enough to let an army through. The hive sat on the other side, pulsing and green and pink and brown, and boy did it ever stink. Oh my goodness did it stink. Some of the company closed in, guns raised, while others backed away, almost involuntarily, their hands on their weapons but too shocked to do anything with them. We pushed through the crowd, Alana yelling, Move! Move! The hive split open when we reached the front, exposing its oozing center, and a fresh wave of stench hit us like a wall, and little creatures flittered out, filling the air with a high-pitched buzzing sound. Then the hive pulsed and hummed, and out of the opening slipped a creature the likes of which I'd never seen. It looked like a man, or maybe it just had a man's body. Two legs, two arms, a head, I think. But its limbs were gnarly and knobby, and its twisted spine ended with a burbling hunch where its neck met its body. The only thing visible on its face was its mouth, which was wide and large and filled with brown teeth. The rest of it, its nose, its eyes, its forehead, was covered in a rubbery patchwork of scarred skin. Polar crabs swarmed out of the opening, surrounding it as it limped toward us, clicking their claws as if anticipating their next meal. When they got within a few feet, Alani pulled out her gun and said, That's far enough. The creature turned its blind face to the sky, mouth working as if tasting the air. Then it stopped and leveled its head in her direction. I am the voice of the hive. None of us said a word. What were we supposed to say if something looked like that and said something like that? Our silence seemed to unnerve it a little. It tried to engage us again. I send greetings from the hive. We are most happy to meet with you this fine day. Good for you, Alani said. What do you want? I come to offer terms of your surrender. Alani snorted. <laughs> Our surrender? She looked to her left. She looked to her right. I think you might need to use a different pronoun. We have no desire to do battle. I bet you don't. The polar crabs clicked angrily around the monster's clawed feet and it smiled with its teeth. Such arrogance. Your colony is surrounded. You are low on food and ammunition. We need not attack. We need only lay siege. You will die. Or you can come to terms. We'll take our chances. No. Frankie said. Let it speak. Frankie, no, Alani. I want to hear this. What could we possibly have that it wants? Alani gave me a look. Didn't hurt to hear their offer, I guess. All right, she said. What's the deal? The hive will leave your colony alone. The hive will withdraw as far as the water to the south. The hive will allow your colony to forage as far as a village to the north. In exchange for what? The monster pointed a clawed talon directly at me. <sighs> Alani laughed out loud. <laughs> you must be joking. The hive does not win. The hive consumes. You arrogant. I have no ego. I am but the humble voice of the hive. It bowed its head and spread its green arms in mock supplication, and I saw my chance. I pulled Alani's machete out of the loop on her belt took one step forward and stabbed it in the neck. 
The monster fell to its knees, hands trying to cover the wound. Green fluid sprayed at my feet, burning my skin. Then it collapsed, shaking on the asphalt as the life ran out of it. The polar crabs went nuts. Two of them scuttled up my leg, biting and tearing at my flesh. I sliced them off easy enough, but they left great big gashes. Frankie turned and ran. Frankie! I screamed, but she kept on running, limping along on that cane of hers. The hive shuddered to life. Tentacles whipped out, aiming for our people. One grabbed Lonnie by the ankle and upended her, but I cut it off with an angry slash of the machete. I reached out my hand as she took it and let me help her up. The company unloaded on the hive and the tentacles reeled, even as polar crabs and other monsters poured out of the pulsome pink opening. Sorry about that, I said as we backed up. Sorry about what? I, I might be a little down in the dumps right now, but I ain't suicidal. I'll be damned if I was going to let that thing take me. That thought never crossed my mind, Amanda. Alani picked her walkie-talkie off her belt. John! Zeta! Get your butts in the buses and close the gates! The polar crab clicked across the road for us, and Alani raised her gun and fired, hitting it in three shots. Then she handed me her spare firearm. Time to show up, Amanda. If I didn't know any better, I'd have thought the aliens brought a bunch of dead meat to a gunfight. Sure, they were able to jump over the cars and the APVs like they were toys, but they weren't no match for our firepower. They surged toward us, wave after wave, and we cut them down. Head shots, leg shots, body shots, tore that pack to ribbons and tore the ribbons to bits. The hive was a different story. It whipped its tentacles out at us with a fury unrestrained, ripping people from the tops of the buses and smashing them on the road, dragging them screaming into its mouth. The polar crabs overwhelmed our lines. And though we stomped them and shot them, and though their shells burst and their black guts exploded, they swarmed us and took us out two or three at a time. It was a horrible thing to watch someone's legs be eaten out from under her, to watch her body shake as they ripped through her stomach, her chest, her head, leaving nothing but shards and bone. Pretty soon, it seemed like the voice's prediction was going to come true. The Max didn't relent. No matter how many we cut down, they kept coming. The tentacles tore our buses apart piece by piece and flung them back at us. We were losing. And that's when someone came tearing up the road in an APV. Whoever it was barreled through the first two lines of cars, slamming them aside, and came to a screeching stop. Then the hatch popped open and Frankie clambered out. I'll be, I said. She manned the browning, bolted to the top, pulled back the slide handle, and unleashed hell. Machine guns and sidearms are all very well and good when attacking an enemy. And I don't mean to disrespect them at all, but a 50 caliber Browning is a different magnitude of power all on its own. If a Browning could shatter concrete, fracture steel train rails, and punch through tank armor like they was blocks of cheese, you can imagine the damage it did to a biological organism like the hive. And we had two of them, too. After Frankie emptied her ammo into the mass of meat, leaving the road and fields black with guts, a second APV drove up to take her place. In a last-ditch effort, the tentacles shot out toward the armored cars, aiming for the brownings, the tires, whatever it could wrap around and squeeze. But that was his final mistake. Alani shouted into the walkie-talkie, Everyone, focus on the hive! Now, now, now! And we did. We tore through each tentacle, chopping away with bullet axe and machete, leaving them squirming and gushing green on the black road. Then we marched forward, hitting it with everything we had. Disarmed, or should I say, detentacled. The hive fell onto its side, and the second 50 cow tore it to bits. When we were done, there was nothing left but a pile of pulpy ooze. Kind of reminded me of a deflated pumpkin. 
Hold your fire! Hold your fire! Alani yelled, and one by one the assault stopped, leaving the day silent and still. Only the moans and cries of the wounded and dying bled into the air. We took in the carnage, the squashed polar crabs, the flopping tentacle meat, the rotten max, and we couldn't believe it. We'd won. Handily. Little by little, the cheers rose up all around. Damn, Frankie said. Can you but And then the second hive erupted in the middle of the parking lot. Here's all y'all need to know about what happened next. Bullets and brains and squeals and screams and running and chaos and blah, 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 blah. You've seen it before. Probably produced by people better at the pit than it than me. I don't mean to diminish what happened. It broke my heart. So many good people died. So many brave men and women bashed to a pulp by them damn tentacles or ripped to shreds by Max or gobbled to the marrow by the polar crabs or... Now see what you done? Almost drew me back into that nonsense. I already told you what a polar crab goblin looks like anyway. And trust me, it ain't a pretty thing to watch. Probably even worse for the gobbly. You'll be happy to know that some of us survived, I guess. Me, for one, of course. But so did Alani, thankfully. And Frankie, no comment. And about a baker's dozen of the rest of us. That was it. Out of the 250-some-odd people who woke up that morning with no way of knowing how horrible it would end, we were down to a mere platoon, and the squad of guards on the roof, and the 50 or so kids sniveling in the ox gym. Oh, we were a sorry lot, too, as we hunkered down in the back of the library, licking our wounds and trying to formulate a plan. Some of us were worse for the wear. Frankie was already busted up from before, but now her arm hung at a weird angle, at least until one of the others jammed it back into place and Alani's left eye looked about swell bigger than a basketball. I guess everybody sported some kind of injury, some worse than others. Broken fingers, charred skin, holes and bruises, gashes and gouges and half-chewed limbs. One lady had even been shot. I was surprised more of us hadn't been done the same. Ours was not a crack paramilitary troop, you know. We hadn't exactly spent our lives training for a world-ending alien invasion. Sure, Wendell was a former cop, and Alani seemed like she had some kind of army in her. And I'm sure there were more than a few that had soldiering experience in one way or another. But most of us wasn't battle-trained at all. We were accountants and teachers, food service workers and lawyers, musicians, carnies, salesmen, nannies, marketing reps, personal trainers, mechanics, stay-at-home moms, comp trollers, and in one case, a lion trainer. We had us about as much military experience as an alligator. The weirdest thing that happened after we made it to the relative safety of the school, given the situation, was that other than a few bursts of gunfire from the roof and the occasional sound of the hive slugging away, uselessly, I might add, at the nearly impenetrable shell of bricks and steel and concrete that compromised the outer walls of the indomitable Cortland High School, the enemy didn't try to breach the lower level at all. As far as we knew, Max and Polar Crabs were stewing around the parking lot like, well, like a bunch of mindless Max and Polar Crabs, weathering the occasional pot shot from the roof 
but otherwise unoccupied, unaware, and unconcerned. What are we going to do? Frankie asked. In addition to all her other injuries and her wonky shoulder, it looked like half her face was burned black. I couldn't tell if it was skin or soot. Anybody have a plan? Anybody? When nobody answered, she looked at Alani. Alani? Alani was in shock. It appeared as though she was only capable of sitting and staring. Frankie snorted, disgusted. <laughs> so much for our great leader. Hey, I said. Knock it off, Frankie. You knock it off. Unless you didn't notice those damn things just wiped us all out. Yeah, I noticed. But you ain't helping nothing. She smiled at me, but it wasn't a nice smile. It reminded me of middle school. I'm not listening to some pimply-faced little girl. Don't call me little girl. Ooh, what are you going to do, fight me? I got to my feet, testing my leg. The old break had twinged in the run back to the school, and my other leg had been raked and shredded, and I might have been tired and angry, but I wasn't going to let her talk to me like that. No, Frankie, I ain't going to fight you, but I am going to talk. You all know me. You know what I done. Yeah, you sat in the commons for a month crying. Yeah. Yeah, I did. But that don't confront me none, and it shouldn't confront none of you neither. I dare any of you to raise your hand if you ain't been in the same state within the last 12 months. Go on, do it. Nobody but Frankie raised their hand. She looked around at them, shaking her head. All right then, I said. So this is what we're going to do. I've been in worse spots than this, and I've lived. So there ain't no reason why we can't get through this too. We're going to get out of this. We're going to live. We're going to how, Frankie said. I looked around at them, and they was all looking back at me. And I, well, I didn't know what to say. I didn't really have anything in mind. At a loss for what to do next, I limped over to Alani and knelt down in front of her. Hey. Hey, Alani, you okay? She looked at me with her one good eye, but didn't say nothing. We're in a bit of a pickle here, Alani. Frankie snorted again. We're going to need your help, okay? Can you do that? Help, she whispered. Yeah. Yeah, help. She seemed to notice her surroundings all of a sudden, her eye wandering all around the room, looking at the faces of the people waiting for her to stand up and tell them what to do. How many? Dead? Frankie said. Hundreds. How many left? You're looking at it. Gunfire popped above us. Wendell's still up there with his guards? Yeah, I said. All of them? I nodded. So that's 30. Frankie said, You're going to fight those things with 30 people? 30-ish, I added. Are you serious? No, Alani said, not fight. So what? Do you have some magic plan that- Shut up, Frankie! I snapped. No, I won't shut up. I'll- It only took three steps for me to span the distance between two of us and crack her in the jaw. Hurt like a son of a bitch, too, but the satisfaction of watching her ass hitting the ground was well worth it. Then that old familiar feeling zinged through my body, so strong and pure that I saw stars for a moment, like I was the one who just had her clock cleaned. I reeled and reached out, hoping somebody would catch me, but nobody did, and then it was my ass's turn to hit the ground. You little skank, Frankie yelled. None of us needed to die. I was too busy trying to fight off the effects of the zing to respond. Shut up, Frankie. That was Alani. Don't try to protect her. I heard what that thing wanted. We all did. I said, shut it. 
Just her, it said. Just give us her and we'll leave you alone. Who? Someone asked. Frankie, no. Who do you think? I raised my hand. Me. It wanted me. She's right. None of this had to happen. All I had to do was go with them. Amanda, they would have killed us anyway. My head finally cleared enough for me to be able to stand up. Maybe. Maybe not. There's only one way to find out. And that's how I found myself walking out the front doors of a perfectly safe shelter and directly into the swarming tentacles of the enemy. It wasn't as bad as you might think, you know. I mean, the Max were, but only because they stank and were rotten and I could see their bones beneath the slowed-off skin. And the polar crabs, too, but only because they stood on their rear legs when I came out the front door and raised their claws in the air and started clicking and clacking all at once. And the hive was, well, it was the hive. Even though it sat calm and still in the middle of the parking lot, it didn't set an exactly welcoming table. I knew everybody was watching from the library window and from the roof. Alani made like she was going to go out there with me, but I told her not to bother. When she started to argue, I said, what do you think is going to happen to you if you step outside with me? Same thing is going to happen to you? No. No? This is my choice. Mine and mine alone. I could take responsibility for what happens to me, but I'd never forgive myself if something happened to you. You say that like you're going to live. Who says I'm not? I'll be the first to admit that down there, surrounded by all that stinking flesh and all them horrible monsters, I was beginning to doubt the wisdom of my decision. The only thing I had in my favor was that zinging feeling and a hunch. Until I saw something else. Just a momentary blur, but I saw it. Primary colors. Yellow, red, blue, and green. Dashing along the forest line that separated the school grounds from the neighborhood behind it. The Max and Polar Crabs cleared a path for me as I made my way toward the hive, but they filled in behind me, blocking off all hope of escape. I stopped at the edge of the sidewalk and stared up at the alien thing waiting for me. Well, I said, I'm here. What are you? A tentacle plunged at me, snatched me up, and held me in the air. I could hardly breathe it was squeezing me so tight. Then I heard the voice, the voice of the hive, buzzing in my head. It filled my skull so loud it felt like it was about to split wide open. And the voice was terrible and huge, like it was made up of all the species and all the beings of all the planets it ever conquered, all of them speaking their own language in a poisonous babble that wormed its way around my brain. I'm telling you, I could feel it. And through it all shot the voices of Earth, the human voices. She is the one. She is the one. It swelled in waves and waves of sound, spiking my eardrums. Such a puny little thing, after all. So frail and insignificant. Did she really think she'd be able to win? Once the echoes of the voice dissipated into nothing, I gathered my strength and cleared my head. When I spoke, it was with a strangled rasp. Kill more of your kind on my own for such a puny, insignificant thing, didn't I? Just like I'm going to kill you. The tentacle squeezed tighter, and I felt something in my elbow crack. Couldn't breathe. My eyes felt like they were about to pop straight out of my head. I thought, nothing. And I felt nothing but fear. But I tried to tamp that down. Fear was just an emotion. Chemicals in the brain. Maybe I was dying. Maybe it'd be painful. But it wasn't no different than taking a swim or watching TV. It was just something that was happening. Then the tentacles loosened a little. Enough for me to breathe. And that I did. I took myself a great whopping breath. 
We're all of our pets so arrogant, so badass. We're all of our pets so stupid. She's so brittle. Her bones so easy to crack. It gave another squeeze. The zing came back stronger than before. It pulsed through my body, feeding me, fortifying my muscles, my tendons. It was like my skin had turned to iron, and the tentacle, though it kept the pressure on my neck, didn't hurt me anymore. I took another great sucking intake of breath. The dizziness left. My arms flexed, my legs flexed, and I knew what was coming. The guards on the roof began to shout, and the hive's grip loosened. I heard a massive crunching sound, cracking and whining, like something huge was pushing through the woods that lined the back of the school. I found myself spinning around to face the source. The tops of the trees were shaking. The max surged toward them, and the polar crabs flooded in, flowing toward the most beautiful and the most horrible thing I'd ever seen. Five of the beasts from Hangnail's farm lumbered out of the woods, each driven by a figure perched on top of those strange, chitinous horns. Behind them, beneath them, and in front of them scuttled thousands of polar crabs. The girls' polar crabs. It was her, and her children, and Timmy Carter to boot. The two lines crashed, polar crab on polar crab, and Max and tentacles, the Max were torn to shreds, chewed to the nub, and lurching to the side set upon by the crabs, even those belonging to the hive. It was chaos, absolute chaos. Then Wendell and all the roof guards opened fire, adding more to the mix, and through it all stomped the monsters, kicking through the hive's forces like elephants to ants. The hive was not to be discounted, no sir. It roared to beat the god of thunder himself. The ground shook and the school shook and the air shook and the asphalt cracked and popped and exploded in great big chunks. Then the hive ripped itself out of the ground, using its tentacles as legs. It waded into the fight, holding me out like a shield and aiming for the nearest monster tank. It crashed into it, tentacles pummeling and ripping. The beast roared and reared back and I saw the rider, the brown-haired boy I shot, pull back on the massive chains he was using as a bridle. The beast stomped on the hive with his hooves and I started to scream, and then I was airborne, flying across the parking lot. I landed on the grassy slope next to the tennis courts, the heavy weeds and jungle growth softening the blow. A little. Knocked the wind out of me, and I think I felt a rib crack too. But I wasn't broke, I wasn't bleeding, and I wasn't dead. Before I could figure out what I was going to do next, blurs of primary colors zipped out from behind the pine trees lining the drive to the school, and the melonhead kids were suddenly standing around me. Nieces, we are here for you! Berenice? Yes, yes, Berenice is here! And Marco, and Gorga, and Raquel, and Bertolt too! We are here, here for you! She pulled on my arms, clucking and cooing over me, and my gosh did her strength surprise me. For a second I thought she'd haul me all the way to my feet. But she stopped when I was sitting up. I coughed and my side flared with pain. Yep, that was a cracked rib. Golly gumdrops, Berenice, you're strong. She blushed until I thought steam would come out of her ears. Mrs. is too kind, she said. I looked around at all her friends. And I'd be lying if I said their encephalitis heads didn't freak me out. And their red eyes. And their sharp teeth. Crazy old Bert Holt was staring at me with an intensity that bordered on, well, no, actually really was, hunger. Berenice started to hop in place. Come, missus, come with me. What? Where? We will clear a path. You will follow. And that's what happened. Getting to my feet made my ribs scream, but I did it, and the melon heads formed a circle around me. Berenice in the front and Bert holding the back. Where are we going? You must find her, missus. You must find her and join hands. Who? She pointed at the battle raging in front of the school. Her! 
If you've never cut through a swath of meat and bone and shell and claw while being protected by a bubble of seven little murder midgets like Berenice and Bertholdt, you ain't seen the most disgusting thing in the world ever. They were like termites to rotten fences. They were like puppies to a new couch. It was quite the experience. Bertholdt was the absolute worst of the bunch, went out of his way to cause the maximum possible damage. It wasn't enough for him to stomp a crab or trip up a mac. He had to pulverize and decapitate, disembowel and eviscerate. He took tongues and slashed scalps, gouged eyes and smashed claws. He was too much, but it worked. They tore a path straight through everything, and one by one, the girl and all her friends jumped down off their creatures and followed us until we were standing right in front of the hive. The melonheads widened their circle to include all of us. The girl looked at me and said, Hold my hand. I did, and the brown-haired boy took the other side, and we formed a ring inside the melonhead bubble. The moment the last two linked their fingers, power surged up inside me, filling my body, my bones, and my blood. My muscles seized and my head flew back. The surge peaked, and, right when I thought it would blow my skull into fragments, all the oxygen was sucked out of the air inside the bubble and blasted out in the green sonic ring of pulsating fire, cutting through our enemies, the Max, the polar crabs, and the hive. Everything stopped. The silence in the wake of the battle was absolute. Then the Max all slid in half, tops separated from bottoms, and their guts spilled out in sick, wet piles. Polar crabs cracked and black stuff squelched out. Then it was the hive's turn. Nothing happened at first. Then it started to hum with some kind of glowing energy that highlighted the red veins that knotted its hide. The thrumming grew more and more powerful, and thick green goo blasted out of the hole before the whole thing exploded in a hail of fluid and shell and innards that splattered all over the side of the school and all over us and the dead Max and polar crabs. The power that coursed through us slowly petered out, and we let our hands drop. Like the last time it happened, when the girl and I killed Hangnail, I was left both exhausted and energized by it all. But the amazement at what we revealed inside the hive trumped how tired I suddenly felt. Timmy Carter jumped down off his creature and joined us as we waded through the afall. I almost laughed out loud at the way he looked at the Melonhead kids when he saw them for the first time. Kind of a mingled expression of curiosity, amusement, and disgust. Then he looked at me for an explanation, and I did laugh. I pointed to Berenice. Timmy Carter? Meet Berenice. She's my friend. Berenice beamed up at me. Bertholdt scowled. Oh, and this is Bertholdt. Watch out for him. Timmy Carter gave them both an uncertain nod. So, Timmy Carter, I'm a little surprised to see you lie here. Last time we met, you was none too pleased with me. Yeah, it wasn't easy, but I eventually won them over. Alani and all the colony crowd filed out the front of the school and stared around at the carnage in wonder. When Timmy Carter saw Frankie, he brightened up considerable. Then he looked over at the girl. Then he looked kind of guilty. He looked like he was about to go over to Frankie, but then when she saw him too, well, let's just say I could tell by the expression on her face that she wasn't as excited to see him. Timmy Carter saw it too, and, well, I don't think I've ever seen somebody so relieved and so heartbroken at the same time. Berenice tugged on my hand, pulling me closer to the remains of the hive. Mrs. Mrs. What is that, Mrs.? She was pointing to the dead black muscle suspended in the middle of the gooey wreckage of the hive's innards. I circled the thing, tripping over a severed tentacle that twitched and sent me near to swallowing my own heart. The bottom was already turning black, and I could see the fibrous outlines of what used to be its various chambers. I wish I could say I'd never been inside a hive, but I can't. I will say this, though. The dang thing was huge. Cavernous. 
The black thing hanging in the middle beat one time. A weak, heavy thud. Boom, boom. Paused, then beat one more time. Boom, boom. And that's when I knew. That's when we all knew. I was just about to tell her what it was when Berthold burst out through the other side, screaming, as we were showered with more black and green glop. Berenice wiped a clean place on her face so she could see. Bad Berthold! Wicked boy! Berthold squealed with joy and stomped around inside the dead hive. It's a heart, missus! He cried. A heart! A heart! A heart! Daddy was a perpetual motion machine. From the moment he woke up to the moment he went to bed, he was busy getting things done. And if he wasn't working on something, the farm, the animals, the pot, he was crashed out somewhere. I'm telling you, that man could sleep anywhere. All he needed was a flat space. Sometimes I found him snoring away on the kitchen floor, usually in the middle of the afternoon, with half a sandwich in his hand. It was like he thought, I'm hungry, but I'm too tired to make it over to the couch. Daddy, we should just build you a cot in there, I often said. Nah, that'd take away from the fun. His naps weren't long naps. Twenty minutes here, ten minutes there. Just enough to provide him with energy for the next project he decided to take on. I could never imagine him going on a vacation of any type, liking it in his mind, as someone of his disposition would, to the apocalypse. That's why I was shocked when in the summer of my sixth grade year, he said, Manda, pack your bags. We're going to the beach. I suppose I had something to do with it. Toward the end of the year, a whole bunch of my friends was talking about their summer plans. I didn't join in the conversation because my summer plans was basically what I did all the time, help out on the farm. But they kept on talking about some beach they was going to. It was all I heard about for the last month of school, the beach this and the beach that. I played along like I knew what they was talking about. One of them even showed me a sticker she got the year before, a big white thing with the name of the place printed on it, Obix. I even told some of them I'd been there before. Obix? I said. Oh, yeah, of course, uh uh-huh. Sand dunes, seafood, kite shop. They laughed at me, of course. That night while we were eating dinner, burgers and salad again, I said, Daddy, where's Obix? What? The beach. Danny Tyler and Emma Jarvis said their families go there every summer. I think you mean OBX. Oh, now I knew why my friends was laughing at me. It's in North Carolina. It stands for Out of Banks. See, OBX is an acro... I know what an acronym is. He took a bite of his burger and chewed thoughtfully. I picked at my bun. Manda, is there something wrong? How come we never go on vacation? Is that what this is about? Danny and Emma go to the beach every summer. They're always talking about how fun it is. I bet. Well, can we go? Daddy didn't say anything for a long time and I knew better than to push him. He didn't speak until he was almost done eating. Then he said, I'll think about it. Really? It don't mean we can go, but I'll think about it. He didn't have to think long. One week later, he told me to pack my swimsuit. The beach was calling. I was about to explode. I was so happy. As it turned out, Daddy knew a guy who knew a guy who had a trailer on the sound. It was musty, and the bed smelled funny, and the stove didn't work, and there were weird stains on the carpet. But I didn't care about any of that. We spent our days sunning on the beach and playing in the water. I don't think I'd ever seen Daddy so relaxed and happy before in my life. He actually slept in all week. Although for him, sleeping in meant getting up at 7 in the morning instead of 5. One day he bought a football and we went out and tossed it around till my arm was numb. We ate fruit we bought at a stand on the way down, made turkey sandwiches for lunch, and at night 
we cooked shrimp fresh from the ocean on a Weber grill Daddy brought with us. It was the best time I'd ever had in my entire life. My favorite thing about it was the outdoor shower. It didn't come with a house. Daddy fixed one up himself with a bucket and some rope and a ring of shower curtains. It might have been as country as country came, but boy was that the greatest feeling in the world. That's how I got the idea for the outdoor showers we built in the aux gym. We might have gotten a little power from the windmill the Votech kids built before the end of the world, and the solar panels we looted from some of the richer houses in the neighborhoods around us, and we might have still been able to flush the toilets, but without a well for miles around, drinking water and bathing water was a different story, so we relied on the natural humidity and whatever rain came our way, which is to say a lot of rain. After I washed all the gook and blood and gross stuff off, and after I washed my hair, I went back to the commons where everyone else was sitting. I was wondering why nobody else was using the other showers. We made a bank of eight. When I saw they gathered around a figure in a white lab coat, he turned around, and I lost my mind. One second I was squeezing the water out of my hair, the next I was rushing straight for him, because that was Dr. Huntington, the crazy man who injected me with that poison for no reason at all. Before I could hit him, a little red blur sped in from the right, and then I was flat on my face. I pushed off the ground, and a kick to my middle sent me spinning onto my back, and then he was on me. Bert hold the little freak, punching me in the face, breathing his rotten breath all over me. He was babbling in some weird language that sounded half like some kind of German mixed with hysterical laughter. I covered my head with my arms, but he still managed to get in some shots to my temples. When he slowed down and got tired, I found an opening in all the punching and pushed him off shoving so hard that he flew a few feet into the air before hitting one of the brick pillars. The good doctor hadn't moved an inch. In fact, he was staring at me, shocked. I got to my knees, grimacing, and prepared to launch myself again, but Berenice jumped in my way. No, missus! Get out of the way, Berenice! But he's a friend and not a foe! Look, see! Everybody else was staring at me, just as horrified as Dr. Huntington. Alani, Frankie, Timmy Carter, the girl, Brownie. To say I was confused would be an understatement. Timmy Carter, always a sly one, said, He's on our side, Amanda. On our side, hell! I stood up, hoping the doctor would say something stupid so I could have an excuse to punch him. He shot me full of green goo, probably trying to turn me into one of his little f- I glanced at Berenice, trying to experiment on me. No, missus, no! Berenice said. Dr. Huntington wants to help her! You should listen to your new friend, my dear, Dr. Huntington said. She may be small, but she's wiser than you know. First of all, don't call me my dear. And second of all, if you're such a friend, then why'd you shoot me up with that stuff? The doctor looked at me like I had a cockroach sneak out of my eye. Why, to help you, my dear. I told you not to call me that. And help me with what? Kill the hive, of course.
Hey, hey, thank you for tuning into the Mad Tales podcast. I hope you enjoyed this week's chapter. If you cannot wait until next week to finish the story, you can always buy it in ebook and paperback form from Amazon.com, or you can buy it directly from me, both in ebook and in paperback, a signed paperback nonetheless, uh, from my website, www.jamesnoll.net. That's www.jamesnoll.net. And if you would love to support me on Patreon, I would love you to support me on Patreon. I'm offering all kinds of cool extras, including access to bonus material, uh, the ebooks released one week at a time, the chapter at a time, uh, customized short stories. And if I can build enough of a following, I want to film a live action version of Make the Hive Great Again, one of my favorite chapters from the Hive. It's uh, at the end of the first season. It's the very last chapter of the of the first season. That would be an awesome thing to do. So if you want to visit my Patreon page, it's www.patreon.com slash madtails. That would be fantastic. And I will see you guys next week.